God, here we are. I just want to thank you for your faithfulness, for your mercy, for your love. We ask that you touch our hearts, you draw us closer to you, that you speak to us through your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. In 2019, I took this picture. Can any of you tell me what this picture is of? The Washington Monument, right? I got to look through this window and take a picture through this window. Can you guess what building this window is in? This is in the Capitol building. It was that window right there. And I'll tell you that the the occupant of the office told me something. He said, I have the privilege of having a front row seat to human history unfolding before my eyes. He said, day in and day out, I work with the people who you watch on the evening news. I want you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. You're welcome to follow along in your Bible or to uh, follow along on the screen as we go to this story. We looked at Daniel chapter 5, the fall of the Babylonian Empire when Belshazzar was there. We talked about how the uh, Persian general Cyrus diverted the river, and, and we talked about why that took place. So if you missed our last message, it was titled, Mercy Triumphs Over Judgment, and that is incredibly good news. You can catch that on our YouTube channel, Mercy Triumphs Over Judgment. But here we pick up the story, we're told that Darius has become king at 62 years of age at the end of Daniel chapter 5. And here we see verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. He's coming in and he's setting up a new government. You've seen this happen before. We inaugurate a new president and suddenly everything changes around him. The White House, it's very rare for a lot of the people that are close to the president to to continue close to the president, uh, the next president. There's not many positions that go from president to president. Have you noticed that before? When you are elected, natural thing is that you change everything. You you get a, a whole new system, a whole new group of people around you. So Darius is setting something up. He's setting up 120 satraps over this massive kingdom that is now the Uh, dominated by the Medes and the Persians, who we learn were quite a bit more gracious than the Babylonians. But it goes on to say this in verse 2, and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Now this is incredible, because in Daniel chapter 5, we saw that Daniel is not even invited to a feast of 1,000 nobles with Belshazzar. But by the end of the feast, Daniel is told that is, is given a robe and he's, he's made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. But somehow this guy who had been in power for decades in Babylon, he was taken as a captive, castrated, uh, taken from his, his own home. His temple was, was taken of all of its vessels and it was taken to Babylon. This guy had, had been in leadership in Babylon for decades, 30 or so years. And then he wasn't in power for a while, but now suddenly we find him Once again, in ascendancy. And it's pretty amazing to think that he was third ruler at the very end, the fall of Babylon, and suddenly he is again exalted in the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. So we see that he's exalted even farther in verse 3. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because what? 
because an excellent spirit was in him. There's something about Daniel that's different. There's an excellent spirit that's in him. He was filled with the spirit of God. In fact, we learn this throughout the book of Daniel. It's what distinguishes who Daniel is, and it's what we long for in our Christian lives. Several times we find these uh, pagan idolaters recognizing the Holy Spirit is in Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar says, the spirit of the holy God is in you, Daniel. We have the queen mother telling Belshazzar, the spirit of the holy God is in Daniel. We have, uh, it said that the spirit of God by Belshazzar, he downplays it a little bit, but he says the spirit of God is, is in you, Daniel, and I need to know about the writing on the wall. So what does the spirit of God do in our lives? I love how it's encapsulated in this two-sentence or one-sentence line here in, uh, here we find that he has an excellent spirit, but in the, the book, The Desire of Ages, it says in two sentences, we cannot use the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is to use us. I want more of the Holy Spirit in my life. How about you? I want to be filled, and I'm so thankful for our general conference session and the leadership there that, that focused on praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful thing. We cannot use the Spirit. The Spirit is to use us. I come to recognize more and more in my life, one of the main reasons that I'm lacking, if I'm lacking in the Spirit of God, is because I'm going my direction and I have my priorities and I have the way that I think the world should look. And the Spirit of God wants to do something different. So what does that look like? Who is the person that was filled more than any other human being with the Spirit of God? Jesus, that's right. Luke 4, verse 18, he's quoting from uh, Isaiah chapter 61, uh, but he's reading there and he's saying, this is fulfilled before you today. And this is what he reads. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Remember, the one time that Daniel gives counsel to the kings that we know about, that he gives advice to the kings, he gives it to Nebuchadnezzar and he says, break off your sins by doing righteousness and be merciful to the poor. What was Daniel like over those decades and decades of leading in government? Why did they trust him so much? The one thing we know that he advised the king to do was, you need to be merciful to the poor, the oppressed. You see, as we come midway through the book of Daniel, we're going to be diving into more and more prophecies as we get to Daniel chapter 7 through 12. And it's important that we keep the context of Daniel. They're all together. Oftentimes you'll have people come and they'll do a series on just the prophecies. Or they'll they'll talk just about the stories. This is one whole book that is there for a purpose together because it all leads us to see God's purpose for our life. So he is... Preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. I praise God for that. We have a memorial service this afternoon. And I want this to happen. Healing for broken hearts. Not just in that, but, but in our community. There are brokenhearted people. This past week going to the riverbed and seeing what people are going through. There are brokenhearted people that need healing. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. If you want to know what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit of God, look at Jesus. 
He couldn't walk past a funeral train without raising that person from the dead. He couldn't go past a sick person without healing them. He couldn't but lift somebody up who was bowed down with guilt because he was filled with mercy and love and grace. And this is what the Spirit of God will do in us if we allow him in, if we invite him in. Notice that Daniel chapter 6 and verse 2, these satraps and governors were set up for what express purpose? What was the purpose? Read it with me. So that the king would suffer no loss for the benefit of this king. That was the purpose of Daniel's work. And because he did such an excellent job with this heathen kingdom that was dominating the world, that hadn't yet restored his temple, because he was taking such good care of the kingdom, he was being considered to be exalted to the chief among the governors. The king gave thought, verse 3 continues, to setting him over the whole realm. Once again, people are looking at Daniel and saying, we need to set him at the very highest role because we can trust him because he wants what's good for us. When I'm filled with the Spirit of God and I walk through my neighborhood, my neighbors are going to say, I'm so thankful he has the Spirit of God because that's good news for me. It makes a difference in my life. When I walk into the marketplace, wherever I am, the Spirit of God is going to be bearing the fruit of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And even, God forbid, even the government is going to be excited because I'm filled with the Spirit. Is that possible? Is that heresy I'm preaching this morning? Or did this happen in the life of Daniel? Could it be that we need to do everything possible to win the favor of the government because we know that it's not going to last? Well, there's a lady by the name of Perlene Black. I think that's how you pronounce her name. She grew up as the daughter of a sharecropper, had very little. Eventually, she was a mother of five. Well, the time this story begins, or she was, I believe, having her fourth child was in her womb. And she, they were in the ghetto of Baltimore. Later, they would live in the projects, and they considered that as a, a great upgrade. She was su- supported by social services. And so you imagine this lady who, who earned $6 a day scrubbing people's porches. One day, she gets a, a, an evangelistic flyer in her mail, and it said this, This is a great one. I think we need to send this out. It said, there's coming a day when cash will be thrown in the streets of Baltimore and nobody will stop to pick it up. It's a biblical idea. (laughs) So you know what she did? She said, really? I'm going to that and I plan not to stay till the benediction. All I need to know is where will the cash be thrown and when will it be thrown there? Because at least one person is going to pick up that cash. She was convinced that she would do that. But as she went to these meetings, night after night, she couldn't draw away from it. And she began to find what she longed for in the thirsting of her soul. And that's truth. That's Jesus. She went for 12 weeks to these meetings. And she eventually was baptized. And as she went to be baptized... And just, just to plug, if any of you would like to be baptized, please come talk to me about it. We'd love to, to, to lead you through that process. But she, she's going to be baptized. She's pregnant. And she's baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And as she goes down into the water, she said, I prayed this prayer, Lord, would you fill my child with your Holy Spirit? Fill my child with your Holy Spirit. That child grew up to be Barry Black, Rear Admiral of the U.S. Navy, 62nd Chaplain of the United States Senate. Barry Black describes the environment that he grew up in. We grew up in the hood. We grew up in the toxic pathology of an inner city ghetto. This is what it was like. There were prostitutes on the corner. There were drug pushers. There was domestic violence that you could see sitting on the steps. I heard another interview where he said it, it was like the, the evening entertainment to sit there and watch people fighting. So it was a very challenging situation. But he became the first African-American to be appointed chief of chaplains for the Navy. He became the first African-American to be the chaplain of the United States Senate, the first career military person to be chaplain of the United States Senate, and the first Seventh-day Adventist to sit in a place and to have the opportunity to influence and to see human history unfold around him. A man who was prayed for by his mother. Thank you, moms, dads, grandparents. Keep praying for your kids. Keep asking for the Holy Spirit to fill them, to use them to show God's love to this world. And he told us, as we were looking out the window of his office, he said, I have to pinch myself to realize that I'm sitting here and I have the privilege of watching human history unfold. And it gives me a sense of calling, a sense of purpose each and every day. So Daniel is, is, is on the path to ascendancy in the Medes, uh, under the reign of Darius the Mede. And notice what happens in verse 4. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. What often happens when people are filled with the Spirit of God, when they're doing God's work like Jesus did? Persecution, right? Those who live godly, Timothy said, will suffer persecution. Uh, accusations, pointing fingers, people coming and trying to tear them down. Here's the thing. Who is the accuser of the brethren? Who is it that goes and searches out faults in other people? Satan. It's not Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes to, to teach us, to instruct us. And, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. But that is not my job to point out your faults. We have to be careful that we're not doing the work of the accuser. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel. Concerning what? Concerning the kingdom. How many of you like bureaucracy? nobody's going to raise their hands. I, I'm not going to raise my hand. I mean, we get so fed up with it. There's so many laws, so many restrictions. What do you think some of the things that, that might have been that they're trying to find charges against Daniel about? As they're jealous. They're not wanting him to, to, to rise to this level. And we'll find out a little bit later one of the reasons for their jealousy. I don't know what, what the reasons might be. Maybe they might have said, okay, let's, let's start with his tax returns. Let's go and let's look at Daniel's tax returns. Has he faithfully returned taxes to the kingdom? And you think your taxes are bad, but the way that kings tax people is on a whole different level. But there was no charge to be found against Daniel. What, what, some, or what are some other things you think maybe the, the kings might have been looking for? 
or the, 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 the wise men. Maybe to see if he'd been honest in his transactions, to see if he accepted bribes. I mean, this kind of happens when somebody's up for political office. Suddenly everybody's digging and looking and can we find just a little bit of dirt, a little bit of baggage about them? They're searching and saying, is there something, anything that Daniel has done wrong? Like they go to the, his house and they're like, okay, did you have permits for this pillar? <laughs> is, this, is this place permitted and outfitted the way, that, the way that the government tells you to do it? And don't get me wrong, I am not saying that bureaucracy is a good thing or that all of it is a good thing. But Daniel was faithful. Notice what it goes on to say. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. What was he faithful in? In the, in the kingdom. In the laws of the land. He was following them perfect. I mean, they're following him in his chariot. I don't know if he had a chariot. They're following him in, like, is he breaking the, the, the speed limit of the Medes and the Persians? I don't know what it is, but they're like, he's faithful. He's not somebody out there like, ah, oh, we're going to rebel against this, all of these laws and rules. He's there to actually assist and help the government. I'm not here to say that the government is doing a good job. I'm here to say that your calling, my calling as Christians, as it's described in the New Testament, is to live faithfully in such a way as, if at all possible, in every way possible, to win the favor of the government, to, to make sure that we are supporting in every way possible. As good citizens, we vote, and we vote our conscience. We vote according to Scripture, and then we faithfully follow And we faithfully live like Daniel. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. This is pretty incredible. I like how Patriarchs and Prophets describes it. Page 546, it says, Through the reign of successive monarchs, king after king, the downfall of the nation and the establishment of another world empire, such was his wisdom and statesmanship. Is it possible to be filled with a God and practice statesmanship? To be a politician? (laughs) Uh, it's challenging to think that when you look at the politicians today, but here you find somebody practicing wisdom and statementship on such a level that successive kingdoms want him. So perfect his tact. The whole, could it be that the Holy Spirit gives us tact? His courtesy. Could it be that the Holy Spirit gives us courtesy? His genuine goodness of heart, his fidelity to principle, that even his enemies were forced to the confession that they could find no, no, none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful. Barry Black said it this way. He said, if you want to be a truly effective leader, be an ethical and moral person first. Be an ethical and moral person first before you set your sights on trying to lead. This is talking to me as much as to anybody else here, but here's the beautiful thing. Young people today, wherever you've come from, and and those of us who are older, no matter what has gone on in your life, God wants to use you to impact the world around you in big ways. God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit and, and lead you to do big things for God. I don't know what that looks like. It might look like raising a family faithfully. And that can be the greatest testimony to the world. Or it might be that one of you is going to be called to be the president of the United States. I don't know what God's calling you to do. But allow the Spirit of God to fill your life 
and expect that he will do great things through you. And then be led by him. Don't try to arrange it yourself and, and, and say, well, I have this political idea about how things should go and, and I'm going to base it upon what I think is right. But go to the Bible and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. Then these men, verse 5, it continues, said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel. There's no way, there's no law that he's breaking. That, that gives me pause. Like, is that what the, the government would come if they searched my life? Absolutely no charge against me. If we believe as Seventh-day Adventists that we're approaching the, the end, then this is the type of life that you and I are called to live. It's not something that I get excited about necessarily, but I believe that the Spirit of God wants to fill us in such a way that we live this way. Shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the what? The law of his God. You see what this becomes about? It becomes about the law of God. They knew Daniel. They knew that he was faithful to the government until it came to a very certain point. And that very certain point was... He was going to live by what God said first. He'd, he'd gladly do absolutely everything for the kingdom until it conflicted with the word of God. And that's where he drew the line. That's where I have to draw the line. That's what we're called to do. Now, just a fascinating thing. These are accusers, right? They're trying to accuse Daniel. And specifically, what are they trying to tear down? What is the last line there? The law of his God. This is, this is the, the breaking point. This is what we have to attack. And friends, today, there is, Peter says, a roaring lion going about seeking whom he can devour. And he's the accuser in the beginning who said, God, your, your government isn't fair. Your law is not trustworthy. This is not the way. This is what the accusers are doing. They're seeking to tear down the law of God. They knew from looking at Daniel's life, they could observe from the way he lived that he lived faithfully not only to the kingdom, but preeminently to his God. And so as they conferred together, they figured out, okay, let's go to King Darius. Let's approach King Darius and we'll play on his vulnerabilities just to establish this kingdom. And he needs to establish his authority over this new realm. And so... Let's frame a law for him. And they went before Darius and they said, oh, Darius, we just want everybody to worship you. Set up a law that for 30 days, nobody can pray except for to you, to no other God. Now, there's different reasons. Some, some commentators think that because the Medes and the Persians sent the uh, idols from the various temples back to their gods, maybe they were in that time of transition. And so there wasn't another reason, another, so he wanted it to be clear how to pray during this time period. But it may just be that they were playing on the vanity of Darius, not Darius. I'm not sure exactly the reasons why, but they brought this idea to him. They brought the law to him. And so he signs the law. What would you do if you're Daniel? And this is brought to your attention. Okay, Daniel. So the king just signed this law. And you can't go and pray. What are some, some options? What would you think? You can pray to nobody but the king. Let's say that's enacted in the United States of America tomorrow. What would you do? Pray in your head. Pray silently. Didn't Jesus say that? Didn't Jesus say go into the inner room and, and pray there? Why didn't Daniel do that? 
we'll look in just a second. Or how about this? Some of us are bold and zealous for God. So what would I do? Maybe it's tempting to be like, okay, I'm going down to the nearest city square. I'm going to get out my bullhorn and say, in the name of Jesus, (laughs) I'm going to pray. I'm going to represent Jesus in the most obnoxious way to the government so that they recognize that he is the true God. And maybe this will shove it in their faces enough that they will realize that he's the true God. Daniel had two directions he could have gone, right? He could have gone and hid. Or not prayed at all, but he could have gone and hid and, and maybe be faithful. Or he could have gone and, and, and made it obnoxious. But he didn't either. As he thought about it, he went back to his room. He pondered the options of what to do. It tells us exactly what he did. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, it gives us a picture that before that, there's some sort of... Uh, He's a part of the process, hopefully, and he's, he's trying to, to advocate for, potentially for it not, maybe for it not being signed. I'm not sure. He went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem. Why pray with your windows open towards Jerusalem? Just close the windows. Even you can kneel the same spot. Is it really that important? Why is he doing this? Notice what King Solomon had prayed. In the dedication, when Solomon had built that beautiful temple, And he prays before God. This is the prayer that Solomon prays. And Daniel would have known this because it had happened sometime before him. And when they return to you, God, with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity. Where is Daniel? He's about in upper 80s in the land of captivity at this point in time. Went there at 18 years old. He's in his upper 80s now. Almost almost, uh, 70 some years he's been there. In the land of their captivity, where they have been carried captive, and pray toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and toward the what? Where were they to pray toward? Toward the temple, which I have built for your name. What does name represent in the Bible? The character toward the the temple, which represents the the loving character of God. You imagine the faith that it took for Daniel as day in and day out, he's praying towards Jerusalem and the, the temple has been emptied of the holy vessels. It has been decimated. It's not in service anymore, but he continues to pray in that direction as a sign of his faith that, that this is who the true God is and this is what he's like. And he's not like these capricious gods, these arbitrary gods who don't have my best in mind. But he looks like Yahweh, the God who's merciful and gracious. And so he continues to pray towards that God. And he did this day in and day out. Now, if he had not have opened his windows, what would that have communicated to the leaders? Maybe that he's trying to hide. Or maybe that he stopped praying. And maybe maybe Daniel was following the, the law and maybe he was actually praying to this the king instead of to the true God. Daniel couldn't close his windows as this was his constant habit because if he'd closed the windows, then they would assume that he is no longer worshiping the true God. It's a clearly religious law. We, we need to make that very clear here. This is a religious law having to do with what he could or could not do on a religious level. This is different from Darius saying, okay, everybody in the land has to close their windows. That still would have affected his prayer life. But he could close his window and pray, likely at that point in time. Whereas in this situation, it is 
directly saying you cannot pray to anyone except for to this God. So to close his windows would indicate to people that he is agreeing with not praying to that God and only praying to the king. So he knelt down on his knees three times that day. You guys have set prayer times? I encourage you, set times for prayer. A really helpful and easy way to do this is take out your cell phone and set alarms. It'll remind you. And then when you get too used to that one, set a different alarm. Set, why not set three times to pray? There's nothing ritualistic necessarily about it, but just the opportunity to be reminded to be in communion with God. Daniel had a source of power, a source of strength, and he wasn't about to leave that because it was because the Spirit of God was in him that he was having success in helping the king not to suffer loss. He prayed and he gave thanks before his God. Notice the contents of his prayer. What's the contents of Daniel's prayer? We don't know what the the prayer exactly looked like, but we do know that he's giving thanks. What do you think some things might have been that he thanked God for? Think back over the book of Daniel. Maybe he started with, God, just thank you that, that you, you delivered us when we were to eat the king's meat and drink his wine. Thank you for how you helped us to succeed in the school of Babylon. Uh, thank you for how when we were going to die, you gave me the interpretation of the statue. Thank you for when my friends were thrown in the fiery furnace that you were right there with them. As he's praying towards Jerusalem, Jerusalem represents the character of God, which is Emmanuel, God with us, the one that comes to dwell with us. That was the whole purpose of the temple. And as he's looking, he said, I got to keep praying to this because I know I need God with me now more than I ever needed him with me before. If we want to have a a faithful life in times of trouble, we need to live them in our day-to-day life today. Notice what it goes on to say, as was his custom since early days. This isn't something new for Daniel. It's not just he worked himself up to this because he was worried about what is happening in the world around him. This was who he was because he loved his God. And he wanted to be in communion with him. And so he continued it at any cost in his life. So notice that it was customs from early in his life. Mrs. Mrs. Black had to raise her children pretty much on her own because the dad was often on long tr- trucking trips and eventually kind of was not uh, present in the family. And she began to do some things. She only had a fourth grade education herself, but she was determined to make her children's lives different. At the GC message that Barry Black shared on Monday morning, you can go and you can look it up. He shared about how his mom would pay him a nickel for every memory verse she would, he would memorize. At the time, he was a D student, and he was doing terrible in school, and he said that probably the only reason they, they kept me in giving me Ds was just because they didn't want to deal with me the next year. That's why they're giving me Ds instead of Fs. So he's memorizing scripture and getting a nickel for it, and he reads the ver- and he memorizes the verse, if somebody tells you to carry a burden one mile, then carry it two miles. And he said, what if I apply this to my school? So the teacher would assign him to read this chapter, he'd read it twice. The teacher would assign him to read this, write this essay, and he would write the essay twice. He would do everything the teacher asked him to do, he'd do double. And by the time he graduated high school, he was valedictorian 
of his class. D student to valedictorian, living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Getting nickels for memorizing the Bible. Parents, do what it takes to help your kids fall in love with Jesus. It'll change their lives. She kept reminding him day in and day out, you, when I was baptized, I prayed for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have a calling on your life, young man. He said, I grew up, he said, I may have run away from it like Jonah, but I always knew that I had to be a pastor. I had to be a preacher. I just knew it. There was no other option in my life. Then there was education. She said, you are going to go to a Seventh-day Adventist school. Here's a poor mom who's earning $6 a day trying to send her kids to private education. And she began to invest in this little boy in the projects. And the church community came around them. Thank you, friends, who donate to our school. You can do that on your tithe envelope. Just write school on there. They would donate for his tuition and for his, his siblings' tuition. I think there was five or eight students in the family. Every single one of them went from elementary school through graduate school. They went to Seventh-day Adventist universities. And he says, now we all recognize that that was not a cost. It was an investment because it changed my life. He grew up in his home. He said there was only one record in the home. And he would play this record day in and day out. And sometime watch an interview and he'll likely break into the Scottish accent as he verbatim repeats the sermon that was on this record. He's just a child listening to the sermon over and over and over. And the sermon was by the 57th chaplain, Senate chaplain of the United States of America. He memorized it so much, he said, I'd go down in the streets and I'd be like reciting the sermon to my friends in the streets. And they'd laugh because I had this Scottish accent. Don't underestimate the difference that it can make from the time your children are young to help them get to know Jesus, to help them to aspire to become something. Pray for them to be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, I don't take any credit for this, but here's an example in my little house. Here are Abby and Livy, and I just want to let you to listen to them for a second. Is he green everywhere? No, no, she is like the deaconess, yes. Well, She's the well, deaconess. there was a girl that had, oh, the deaconess. You're right. She is the deaconess. She looks like girls that's going to get baptized. Abby's the deaconess. She's holding up the blanket to dry off the little ones that Libby is baptizing. So, so that would be the girl. And they're that organizing the baptism there in our living room. And, and my wife or my, my mom can tell you that they regularly are baptizing hundreds day in and day out. And don't underestimate what your children can become. I want for my girls to be baptizing people someday. I want for them to be so filled with the Spirit of God that they're changing the world. Young people, God has a calling on your life. He wants to use you to do big things. So as we stood there in the office of Chaplain Barry Black, we got to ask him questions. And this guy is is a humble guy. And I'm not trying to put him on the same level as Daniel. And I don't think Daniel, Daniel himself said, there's nothing good in me. And what was it, Daniel chapter 2? Daniel wouldn't want to be on a pedestal anyway. But we sat there, and here's a guy with three master's degrees, three doctorates, PhD in psychology, and he's just humbly talking to a group of pastors. You could ask him any question, and he'd, he'd answer the questions that we had. And you look around his office, 
And there's, there's a picture of the, the second coming up there on the wall painted by Nathan Green. There's a picture of uh, Brooks preaching there. These are pictures that are in the General Conference Seventh-day Adventist. Some the biggest pictures in his room. But then there were some other pictures. There was like him meeting the Dalai Lama. There was him meeting the, the Pope. There was him with Barack Obama, with uh, President Trump probably, and, and, and Biden. And there was just all of these people that he had interacted with. And I remember one person asked him, how do you handle that? How do you walk into the Senate and say these prayers? How, how do you interact with these people? He said, my job basically is to be the pastor of the 100 mem- members of the Senate. That's the most prestigious part of the, the Congress that, that writes our laws as a nation. But not only that, I minister to all of their staff and the janitors and everybody in our building and then their family members. I do funerals and weddings. He said, I got a 7,000 member church and no associate pastor. That's what he does day in and day out is minister to them. Every session of Senate that opens, he's saying a prayer and he's speaking truth in those prayers to what's going on in the world around us. And people ask him, so how do you do this? What gives you the courage to stand there and, and be like this? And he said this. He said, if you daily communicate with the one who made the stars, it's very difficult to be intimidated by the ones who wear the stars. You get that? If you daily communicate with the one who made the stars, it's very difficult to be intimidated by the ones who wear the stars. In his book, he records it this way. He says, prayer power has permeated most of my life's chapters. My mother's prayers not only gave me spiritual power, but also protected me as I grew up in the sometimes toxic pathology of Baltimore's inner city. Later, her prayers and my own brought me a virtuous spouse. Prayer, prayer, prayer. In every chapter of my life, he says, prayer helped me keep me sane during civilian pastorate and military ministry. And as the Navy chief of chaplains, remember the first African-American to serve in that position, my prayers and the intercession of thousands of others empowered me in my work. What an inspiring, inspiring testimony. Prayer opened the door to my Senate job, and as the new Senate chaplain, I received frequent communications from people reminding me that they lift me often in prayer. Thank you for being a praying church. Let's increase that. Maybe it's to pray three times a day. Maybe it's to figure out how to get another prayer group together. But if you daily communicate with the one who made the stars, it's very difficult to be intimidated by the ones who wear the stars. And so they're there. They're looking. And I don't know how they saw that window, but they were, they were spying on him. And they see that he's praying three times. Verse 11 continues. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. So they go to King Darius and they say, didn't you sign this law? It can't be changed. So they answered and said before the king that Daniel, who is one of the, what does it say? <laughs> Does that just boil your blood like it boils mine? This guy has served Babylon for 30 years as one of the top leaders in Babylon. Now he's exalted to one of the top leadership places in the Median Persian kingdom. And they're still looking at him as a captive from 70 years before, as one of those people from Judah, one that doesn't look like us, one that he's weak. Why is he doing this? Be careful in evaluating people based upon what they look like or where they've come from. Barry Black records in his book that he got emails after he was established as Navy Chief of Chaplains 
One of them started by addressing him with the N-word. Then went on to say, do you think that you made it to chief of chaplains on your merits? All black people are inept and incompetent, and you're no exception. You may have been lucky enough to get one star, but you'll never get two. They will discover you for who you are before that happens. You fake, you imposter. <laughs> Notice what he said. Can you imagine getting emails like that? I told you at the beginning of the series that I was called like a dumb dog. That's nothing in comparison to your heritage being insulted, to you being treated as if you're a nobody because of how you were born. We've got to stop this. Notice what he goes on to say, though. He says, I tried to ignore this negativity, and I strengthened myself with prayer. I strengthened myself with prayer. And this book is, is really encouraging. It shows how he experienced, even in his own life, an understanding of what reconciliation can look like in race relations. Verse 13 goes on to say, so they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Now, what do you think it was that he was praying for? We already looked at this. Jeremiah, a contemporary prophet, had sent a letter to Babylon and had told them what to be praying for. He said, work for the peace of Babylon, establish houses, work to make it a prosperous place. Make sure that there's no loss in the government there. And then Jeremiah says this, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. That's the personal name for Yahweh. For in its peace, you will have peace. As he's kneeling there in that open window, the accusers can say all they want, but on his heart and mind, I believe, is thanksgiving for what God has done and praying for the peace of the very city that's threatening him with death. Well, the decree is as Darius, Darius considers this, it's brought before him. What was his reaction? And this gives us a picture of why, uh, of the heart of Darius and, and the relationship between him and Daniel. We're going to go through this really fast, but look at how he reacts. In verse 14, it says, he was greatly displeased with himself. How in the world could I have done this? He set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. He, he set his heart on him. I've got to find a way to rescue him. I know this is the law, but I've got to rescue him. He labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Again and again, it wants us to know that he loved this guy so much that this guy had been so good to him that he could not stand to see him thrown to the lions. Then when he has to allow for that to be taken, and he takes Daniel to the lions, verse 16, he tells Daniel, your God whom you serve continually he will deliver you. A statement of faith from a pagan king who had come to see the goodness of God in a man who was filled with the Spirit of God and exalted to a high level of leadership. And that night he's seeking every possible way to be able to deliver Daniel. Daniel in the end, though, is thrown into the lion's den. And fascinating, if you read it, read it later on and look for the parallels between this and the story of Jesus. Because what do they do? They roll a stone over the den. And then they, they put a seal on it to make sure that it won't be opened. Jesus was put to, get, to death based upon false accusations. He was put on a cross and then he was put into a tomb. 
He was thrown to the lions. There's a roaring lion that's seeking to devour us. But there's good news. There's good news in the gospel. King Darius, during that night, it says he spent the night fasting. Verse 18, he's, he's desperate for Daniel to survive. No musicians were brought before him. No entertainment, no food. Also, his sleep went from him. He stays up the entire night praying for Daniel. And he's coming to recognize who the living God is. He wakes up very early in the morning. You remember what uh, some of the women are doing when Jesus is in the tomb? John chapter 20, I believe it is. Early in the morning, a great while before day, Mary gets up and she's going to the tomb. She's got to find Jesus. The king is going very early in the morning. But catch this. Watch what he's doing. It says that he, not, he went in haste to the den of lions. And we read that and we think, oh, big deal. He went in haste to the lion's den. But back then, for a king to hurry somewhere, for a king to run somewhere, that was disgraceful. That was something that a king didn't do. It indicated powerlessness. It indicated, but he wasn't, he didn't care. He loved Daniel so much. And I want for us to become a people, that the people in government, no matter who they are, no matter what we feel about them, they come to love us as much as possible, as much as we, as we can follow the law of God and do so, that they come to love us, that they would do anything possible. They say, no, 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 no. You've got to protect the Temple and Hill Church. You've got to protect that community farm. Do you know what it does for us? Do you know the difference they're making? Do you know how we're not suffering loss? Because those people are faithful in everything. This is what we're called to do as Christians. It's an end time message. You may not appreciate it. But it's from the word of God. He cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel as he gets to the, the, the lion's den. He's, he's crying out, Daniel, are you there? Is there any possible way? He's not really expecting that he's actually alive. But as he runs to the den and he calls out, has the stone removed, that voice comes up from within. He said, did that God whom you serve continually, he says there in the verse, he recognizes that Daniel is day in and day out serving this God faithful, and he knows that Daniel's been faithful, and he knows that Daniel's God can save him. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel replies from the lions then, my God sent his angel and shut the mouths of lions. Friends, there may be a lion who's coming around seeking whom he may devour. The answer to that is not to study lion taming. Do you catch my drift? It's not to study Satan. It's to study Jesus, to look towards the sanctuary, to pray based upon his character and to say, God, would you change me? Would you fill me with the spirit of God? Look to the genuine and you will not be deceived by the counterfeits. He shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. Jesus went into that tomb and he came out because he never stopped loving. He was completely innocent of transgressing God's law of love and he came out unscathed. And also, King, I have done no wrong before you. As he's brought out of that lion's den, there's no injury found upon him. There's, there's no scratches on him. And you too will come through unscathed. I appreciated how Ron last week, he started off by saying... Notice that before Jacob hung on to, Jesus, to, to, to God, before he hung on to God, God first hung on to him as they wrestled. 
God's the one that hangs on to us first. He's the one who's faithful. Our faithfulness is only a response to the faithfulness of God. So we have to know the faithfulness of God before we will stand. We have to have communicated with the one who made the stars in order to not be intimidated by those who wear the stars. So this mom prayed for her son to be filled with the Spirit of God. She lived in the ghetto, and I told you that they were working to get their kids through Adventist education, and here he is going to Adventist education and learning about the Bible there. There were three different times he said, I came home and I found our furniture on the street. Three different times because we had been evicted. That's the type of sacrifice that her, his mom was willing to make in order to make sure that her child got an education. And I believe it was the same with Daniel because Daniel's parents, I believe, must have known the, the prophecies. They must have known from Isaiah the prophecy that some of their children would be carried off captive. And they knew this was coming. And so they trained them in faithfulness to the word of God because of the one who was faithful. Barry Black says it this way, African-American mother of five girls and three boys, residents of Baltimore Housing Project, the children's father, alcoholic and mostly absent. Okay, so this, sorry, this is a moment when he is sitting with a social worker and he begins to imagine what this social worker is going to record about the family when she gets back home. They're sitting there in their living room and he begins to just imagine daydreaming. This is what she's going to write down, that they live in Baltimore, the, the father's an alcoholic, mostly absent. And then she's going to write the three with a shudder. The three boys likely candidates for incarceration or early death. The five girls likely candidates for unwed pregnancies and welfare. But then he goes on to write. But I've got good news for that social worker who visited my home so long ago. The pathology, I imagine, didn't happen for any of us. I encourage you to pick up the book from the hood to the hill if you need a, a refreshing uh, read to, to be inspired about what God can do in people's lives today, in your life, your children's life. God wants to use you to do big things as he fills you with the Spirit of God. And I want to close with two little segments from an interview with Barry Black done by Gary Kent. Uh, here's the words from Barry Black that he has for the audience, and you can find this on YouTube. It's called From the Hood to the Hill, The Incredible Journey. Chaplain Black, what message from Capitol Hill would you like to share with our audience? One of the great Americans who has a a monument on the Washington, D.C. Mall put it this way. We shall overcome, making much out of little, because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. We can make much out of little because Carlisle is right. No lie can live forever. We can make much out of little because William Cullen Bryan is right. Truth crushed to earth will rise again. We can make much out of little because James Russell Lowell is right. Truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future and behind the dim unknown, Standeth God within the shadows, keeping watch above his own. And as you make much out of little, like that little boy's lunch placed in the hands of the Savior, Galatians 6, 9, do not become weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. 
We're going to reap what we sow. I don't know if you faced injustice. I don't know if you feel like you're the one bearing the weight of false accusations. You can trust God. The moral arc of the universe, Martin Luther King Jr. said it, it's going to come down in the end to justice. Things will be made right in the end. Just think how this story ends. Those who had reaped, who had sowed an accusation, they reaped exactly what they had sown. They were thrown into the lion's den, and they were destroyed instantly. This was Darius's um, idea of a good idea. I think it was not necessarily a good idea, but anyway. But on the other hand, there's Daniel, and there's Jesus. And it may look like Jesus is defeated. After all, it looked like that on the cross. But he's not. His kingdom is an entirely different way. And it will change the universe forever. Self-sacrificing love will bring justice in the end. You can count on the cross of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus went through that tomb unscathed because... There was no fault found in him. He loved to the very end. And him who has the power of death, Hebrews 2.14 says, is destroyed based upon what Jesus did in that tomb and on the cross. Satan is going to meet a final end. The accuser will be cast down, and so will every other accuser in our life. So I want to close with a simple prayer that Barry Black prays based upon a prayer of Isaac Drake, and he closes the interview as the, the uh, interviewer invites for um, him to, to, to pray as he prays for many people. And so I wanted to bless you with this this morning of experiencing this prayer, and may it take root in our hearts. May we allow God to do this in us today. Chaplain Black, you pray for some of the most powerful and influential people on the planet. Would you please offer a prayer for our audience today? Well, I'd love to do that, Gary. And what I would like to do is to offer a prayer that I put at the end of my book, uh, From the Hood to the Hill, uh, that has been attributed to Sir Francis Drake. So let's pray. Disturb us, O God, when we are too well pleased with ourselves. When our dreams come true, simply because they are too small. When we arrive safely, simply because we have sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, O God. When with the abundance of the things we possess, we lose our thirst for the waters of life, and having fallen in love with life, we cease to dream about eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we permit our vision of a new heaven to dim. Disturb us, O God, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land, we will find your stars. Push back the horizons of our hopes and lead us into a future fueled by faith, focus, and fortitude. We pray in your sovereign name. 
Amen. The silence of your own heart. Just take a moment to give God permission to do that. To apply his word to your heart today. And most of all, give him permission to fill you with his spirit to use you to live like Jesus. God, it could be a scary prayer to pray. But we give you permission. Permission to disturb us from our complacency. And most of all, permission to fill us with your Holy Spirit. To give us dreams of what you want to accomplish. The world is a big place. We need people in positions of leadership who will live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Father, help us, help us to dream your dreams, to be filled with your Spirit and to expect that you're going to do greater things in the future than you've done in the past. To truly know that with Jesus, the best is yet to come. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.